There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This is Jeff T. from the Club 520 Podcast. When it comes to your feet, eBay's got your back. When you see the blue check mark that says authenticity guaranteed, that means real experts are checking your sneakers. Every stitch, down to the sole. They even smell them, because nothing says fresh like the scent of real kicks. So kick back and relax. From the drop to your doorstep, eBay doesn't play games with your sneaker game. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay authenticity guaranteed. Visit ebay.com for terms. Darwin. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Grabber. Alongside me is Logan Camden, and we come to you today in a mood of celebration because we have made it to our midseason award show with the NFL. And with all the uncertainty coming into this season, with all the COVID complications there have been, we are still here. Logan Camden Steelers are sitting at 7-0 and may rack up a couple of awards because they have been nothing short of outstanding this season. And so we're just going to run it down today. We're going to hand out basically all of the awards that really exist. We'll hand out a couple of our customized Nerd Sesh created awards. And then we'll also run through our revised playoff predictions, talk about who we see making the championship games, and of course, winning the Super Bowl. Let's start with the biggest award of them all, MVP, where we have had some unbelievable performers already this season. Who do you stands above the rest in that category? Uh, so sadly for you as a Bills fan, I will not be uh, picking Josh Allen here. I, I'm going to double back on that, uh, mostly just because I think that the race is it's a one man race at this point in the season. It's Russell Wilson. Uh, Wilson's 26 touchdowns through seven weeks are the second most in NFL history. His back to back five touchdown performances in week two and week three has only been done in four other times in NFL history. But still, his defense is allowing 28 points per game. And so I wanted to know how much this Seattle offense was really picking up for the defensive side. So I looked at uh, teams that have allowed 28 points per game in seven games in a single season. And it's 269 teams. Carson, only four of those teams managed to have winning records with defenses that bad. Last year's Seahawks, the 2018 Rams, the 2016 Falcons, and the 2000 Rams. What Russell Wilson is doing this season is historic. Not just because they have a winning record. They're sitting at 6-1. and one. It's damn near impossible with a defense this bad. And you take away an OT interception with Isaiah Simmons, and this Seahawks team that allows 28 points per game could be undefeated. I think, I think the MVP award is obvious here through eight weeks. I, and clearly, I don't think there's been an individual player in football that has had an impact more on his team's success than Russell Wilson. And I'll give some credit to Patrick Mahomes this season and what he has done. 2,000 yards, 21 touchdowns, only one interception, and a 7-1 start. But he's got the third-best defense in football by points allowed. 
in my opinion, this isn't close. I think everybody should be picking Russell Wilson. I agree, and I do want to give props to Mahomes because what he is doing is historic in its own right, and the only reason we don't talk about it as much as we should is because he's the greatest talent we've ever seen at the position with the 23 total touchdowns to one interception. Absolutely ridiculous, and there's a reason that all of us just write in the Chiefs as Super Bowl favorites this year until someone knocks them off of that throne, but I agree it has to be Russ. Completing over 71% of his passes, he is on pace for a 4,900-plus yard season with 59.5 passing touchdowns. One in less than every 10 passes he's thrown this year has been a touchdown. It's just unprecedented historically, and you can compare him to Mahomes. It's not just the glaring difference in the defense, where 28th scoring defense versus 3rd scoring defense. You can look to the offense, where obviously the Seahawks line has been subpar for several years now. We've talked about it previously. The Chiefs normally have an elite O-line. They've been a little more banged up this year, but still a superior unit to what the Seahawks have. And you can even look at the run game, where Russ is almost the leading carrier on his team. If you take out these quarterbacks, the Chiefs have 828 rushing yards on 4.5 yards per carry. The Seahawks have 618 on 4.4 yards per carry. So we've talked about it before, but this kind of singular offensive engine that Russell Wilson is right now is completely unprecedented. I think he's going to break the passing touchdowns record. I think this team very well could find their way to the one seed and eventually the Super Bowl with a significantly below average defense. And there are some guys doing incredible things. Aaron Rodgers has thrown 24 touchdowns to two interceptions, but it's not comparable when you talk about the actual load that they have carried for this team. I don't think that's narrative. I don't think that's anecdotal. I just think it's the reality of the situation. And you watch the game on a night-to-night basis. Rodgers, if you get him uncomfortable, if you generate a serious pass rush against him, he's had some some tricky performances. He had obviously a terrible showing against the Bucks when they brought the thunder down on him with two obviously terrible interceptions as well. Russ is going against that level of pressure, not Bucks level of pressure, but significant pressure consistently, and it just doesn't matter. He's the best quarterback outside the pocket, except for probably Patrick Mahomes, but it's a different level of volume in the regular season. So I think he's the obvious choice there right now. I'm not really willing to hear any argument for anyone else, but he's also in the running for another award that doesn't necessarily always go to quarterbacks. Offensive player of the year, who do you have there right now? Yeah, I think you said it right. Russell Wilson could easily win this award. I think that's kind of boring. Uh, So I'm going to run down some honorable mentions here first. I think Dalvin Cook, um, after the absolute beatdown he laid on the Packers this past week, four total touchdowns, over 200 total yards. Um, Alvin Kamara is up in there as well, three games over 95 receiving yards, seven total touchdowns. He has been the complete offense for the Saints since Michael Thomas went out. And then Devontae Adams, near 200 yards receiving in three separate games, and he's got a league-leading eight total touchdowns. But I'm going to go ahead and give it to a different wideout, and that's DeAndre Hopkins. With a bye week, he still leads the league in receiving yards with 704. He's got four 100-yard games this season. He's fourth in yards after the catch, and he is the second-highest-ranked receiver in that category. Uh, More importantly, he's fifth in catch percentage. He has been... uh, He's so reliable anytime Kyler Murray looks for him, and I think that's why you've seen an uptick in all of Murray's numbers. Through seven games compared to his rookie season, he's thrown for more passing yards, six more passing touchdowns. More importantly, I think this is the defining stat. This Cardinals offensive line was not significantly improved in the offseason, and yet he has been sacked 14 less times compared to his rookie season through the same amount of games, and that's just because he's got weapons around him at this point. Isabella, Hopkins, Fitzgerald, but the most important weapon still in that offense is D-Hop. 
Um, I think there's been a direct correlation between his performance on the field and this team winning games. Um, I picked the Cardinals to go 6-10, and 10, so they have been absolutely shocking. Uh, again, I think this is a award that could go any way, um, especially with all the performances out of so many tremendous players, and still, this is wide open with nine weeks to go. But my pick right now is DeAndre Hopkins. There's a couple guys who I can't put D-Hop over right now. And as incredible as he's been unlocking what we've seen from Kyler this season, to have that safety valve and that dynamic playmaker all bundled up into one, he's certainly, to me, a top-two receiver in football right now. We'll see if Antonio Brown suddenly reinserts himself that into that conversation when he makes his return to the field. But for me, I honestly think it's Russell Wilson. I think that if you have the greatest quarterback season of all time, you're the offensive player of the year. It's not like it's ridiculous for a quarterback to win the award. You just have to be, per capita, the best offensive guy. It's not going to weight quarterback more heavily like we do with other awards, like we do just in the general game of football because they matter more. Comparatively to his position, I still think Russ is the best candidate. But the other guy who I think absolutely has to be above D-Hop is Derrick Henry because he's on pace for 1,771 yards and 18 touchdowns on 4.8 yards per carry. It's one of the greatest running back seasons of all time, and it's not just the value on the stat sheet, which is obviously ridiculous. The dude is a bell cow like we just don't see. He unlocks everything for this Titans team, and he's the reason they started 5-0. and People talk about Tannehill playing at an MVP level in stretches. To me, it's the most absurd thing ever to act like you could possibly value Tannehill over Henry. I am obviously a believer that the quarterback is far and away the most position on the most important position on the field, but Derrick Henry is the exception to that rule. If he does not unlock the play action every single time out there for Tannehill with the terrifying threat of a Derrick Henry run down your throat, Tannehill doesn't play at this level of football. So I think you have to make that distinction there. And I would also say Dalvin Cook, he is on pace in a 15-game season because he missed one game already for 1,630 yards and 25 touchdowns on the ground. (laughs) So I think that that's certainly deserving of a mention. But again, if Russ has the greatest quarterback season of all time, I think he just has to win. Let's look at the other side of the ball now. Defensive player of the year. We've had some great candidates. Honestly, to me, the three guys who stand out are the three guys who I talked about in our preseason episode. I think they're clearly above the rest right now, but I'm interested in seeing if you agree. Who do you have right now for Depoy? Yeah, I'm going to need to take a deep breath because this guy's kind of got a laundry list for this season. TJ Watt, he's the number one rated edge rusher by PFF. He leads the NFL in pressures with a bye week. He leads the NFL in tackles for loss. He's tied for fourth in sacks with six and a half. He's third in QB knockdowns and in QB hurries. He's got one interception on the year, and when he's targeted, opposing quarterbacks have a rating of 16.7. The Steelers right now, sixth rated defense by points, fifth best run defense. But more importantly, they still have the number one best pass rush unit. In every single season T.J. Watt has been on the roster, the Pittsburgh Steelers have led the league in sacks. That's not just a coincidence. It's his impact on the field night in, night out. He's got the best break on a quarterback off the edge I've ever seen. He can bully you with the bull rush, and he can get around you with his speed. Plain and simple, he's the best defensive player in football, and I think he's been the best defensive player in football for two seasons. He got robbed last year. I don't know how the NFL can deny him again. Carson, you mentioned some other options here. Yes, I am morally obligated and as a journalistically obligated to mention Aaron Donald and Miles Garrett. They've been outstanding this season, both with nine sacks, tied for the lead in the NFL. Uh, And I'm going to let you touch on them a little more. There's one guy I want to give a short shout-out to, though, and that's Fred Warner. 
he has been unconscious against the pass this season. Opposing quarterbacks have a rating of 48.5. Only in his third season, I think if this 49ers defense was at full capacity, he would definitely have a shot at winning it this season. Um, And I think he's the best coverage linebacker in football. That being said, T.J. Watt still is the best defensive player in the game right now. It's a strong take, and I certainly believe that he deserves to be in this conversation. Another stat in his favor that I don't believe you mentioned, he has 13 hurries on the season, which is six more than Miles Garrett, seven more than Aaron Donald. So although he trails them in sacks, by a lot of other pass rushing statistics, he is actually outperforming them. So I think that that is certainly valid. To me, though, Aaron Donald is and remains the best defensive player in football. And when he has a nine-sack season, and he is generating that pressure from the inside, and you know that he is probably still the best run stuffer in the league. Actually, I would say certainly. And he has seven tackles for loss and three forced fumbles. I just can't deny that. He's on pace to have a defensive season on par with what he did two years ago, which I would say is one of the greatest defensive seasons ever. I think this is one of the best depoy races that we're going to have because Miles Garrett, who was my preseason pick, very narrowly over both these guys, especially TJ Watt. I honestly wanted to go with TJ, but I was pulled towards Garrett by, I don't know, some part of me. Also has nine sacks, four forced fumbles, five tackles for loss. It's ridiculous what these three guys are doing. The difference to me between Garrett and Donald and Watt would probably be all around impact on the game outside of just pass rushing. I think that obviously neither of these other two guys touch Watt in coverage because he is obviously not lining up on the front and he's very capable there. And we've seen it with the pass deflections and with the interceptions that he can generate. And he's also fantastic against the run. But to me, Donald is still better against the run. And the fact that he's capable of leading the league in sacks from the inside while also doing what he does against the run is difficult for me to match with anyone else. But I definitely think it's close and I think it's going to be an incredible race. Okay. Let's move on to another fun one. Offensive Rookie of the Year, where we've had some outstanding candidates, particularly at the quarterback position, and a couple receivers, and a running back. Who do you have there? If I had to put money on it, I would probably go with Justin Herbert. He's been elite this season outside of uh, his win-loss record. 15 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. But I think the best rookie on the offensive side of the ball this season has been Justin Jefferson. He's 15th in receiving yards. He's 4th in yards per catch. And by NFL Football Outsiders metrics, he is the number one ranked wide receiver in football. That's by defensive adjusted, defense adjusted yards above replacement and wide receiver DVOA. He leads all rookie receivers in receiving yards just above C.D. Lamb. He's second in uh, rookie wide receiving, receiving touchdowns. He's fifth in catch percentage. I was initially really skeptical of the Stephon Diggs move just because I didn't think that you could go out in the NFL draft and get a guy that could be an immediate plug-in replacement in the NFL. But compared to Diggs from last season, he's got a higher catch percentage. He's got more yards per catch. He's got more yards per game compared to Diggs. I still would probably take Diggs just because of uh, he's such a great veteran route runner. But Justin Jefferson just always seems to be open. I've, I've never seen a wideout with footwork like this that can shake veteran corners. And you see that with how the Vikings passing attack really is not dropped off whatsoever. Jefferson has taken the yardage role from Diggs. Adam Thielen is still catching passes in the end zone. I do think he benefits from having Thielen on the other side, so the coverage goes to him more. But Jefferson's been outstanding. Uh, I think that Joe Burrow does want to mention if he was behind a better offensive line, he'd probably be in the running for it. And my man, Chase Claypool, definitely deserves a mention with seven touchdowns on the season. To me, though, I'm going to say it once again. Jefferson has far and away been the best rookie on the offensive side of the ball. 
Jefferson has been awesome. And speaking from the perspective of a Bills fan, I would have been perfectly content to sit there and take Jefferson. He would have been my choice out of the receiving crop remaining. I love the guy, and I think that he's a complete receiver. The thing that stands out for him with me as a minor flaw is the inconsistency of the production and the fact that his target share isn't overwhelmingly high. He has two games with more than five targets, and he's been incredibly efficient. He's catching 70-something percent of the balls that are thrown at him, but if you look at his monster games, it's over 25 yards per catch. It's over 25 yards per catch, and he's fantastic. I'm not going to deny that, but I wouldn't be surprised if he slowed down a little bit in the second half of the season, and to me, when you have a quarterback who is performing like Justin Herbert, he is my default for the award, completing 67.5% of his passes. He is on pace, Logan. In a 15-game season, for 4,550 yards and 37 and a half touchdowns, nothing like that has ever been close to done by a rookie quarterback. We all had our mouths watering over Baker throwing for 27 touchdowns a couple years ago. 37 and a half is what he's on pace for there. So I absolutely think that Jefferson deserves a mention. I think Burrow deserves a mention because the degree of difficulty of what he's doing is higher than everyone else. And he has been really good. There have been some issues. He's probably holding on to the ball for too long, which is why he's taken such an incredible amount of sacks. That and, of course, a terrible offensive line. And the five picks, I guess, isn't terribly high, so you can't really hold that against him. I would also shout out Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who is the third leading rusher in football right now and hasn't been quite as involved in the receiving game as you would hope and want to see from him considering what he was in college. But there's always potential for that to get going even more, and it has kicked up a little bit. So... I think it's a great menu of options. I guess I will ask you, though, with Herbert, because he's not your selection, what level of play do you think he can sustain? Is this a an unrealistically high level that he's playing at for him to keep going over the rest of the season? Yeah, I don't think he ends up with 37 touchdowns just because that would be mind-blowing for a rookie to come out and do that. I don't really know with Herbert. I was really skeptical of him coming out of Oregon. I didn't expect him to be a good NFL prospect whatsoever, but he's got a cannon on him. He's got wideouts around him. So I would say I I think Herbert can go for 30 and 3,700 this season. And if a guy if he ends up with more touchdowns than a guy like Baker Mayfield, as you said, I think he's a runaway with this award. Yeah, and I think he's going to get there. He's got nine games to throw 13 touchdowns to break the record, and I certainly think that he's capable of doing that. He's always reminded me a lot of Josh Allen. Since he was at college, because of the size, the mobility, the questions about accuracy at that point, and just the zip that he throws the ball with, they both throw the ball so hard. And Herbert is obviously much further along in his progression than Josh Allen was as a rookie, and I think he's destined for great things is not going to be able to work his way into this conversation, probably. It's just too late in the season. But I don't know if he pulls off some miraculous run and the Dolphins make the playoffs and he throws 25 touchdowns in this second half of the season, then I think that he probably would do it. But he's not going to throw for 25 touchdowns. Okay, looking at the other side of the ball, we've talked about a couple of these contenders a good amount this year. We've done some comparisons. Defensive Rookie of the Year, who do you have in there right now? This award is the one I'm least confident in. Um... For some reason, I am compelled to take Chase Young for the second half of this season. I think with the Giants, Bengals, Lions, Eagles, and Cowboys left on the schedule, I have to think at some point in one of these games, he's just going to destroy one of these offensive lines. Uh, we saw what happened to Burrow against the Eagles. I have to think Young's going to come alive. Only three QB hurries and two and a half sacks. He's been pretty quiet since the first two weeks of this season. If you had to, if I had to pick one based on their performance in the first half of the season, though, I think I'd go with Antoine Winfield. 
I was extremely skeptical of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers secondary at the start of the year. Carlton Davis, Sean Murphy Bunting, Antoine Winfield. So many young guys. You'd figure you'd need a veteran presence to succeed on that side of the ball. But they haven't missed a beat. Antoine Winfield has been elite. I believe a few weeks ago uh, he racked up a excuse me, an 11-tackle performance. Um, obviously, he's been gaining attention since uh, he stopped the Giants' two-point conversion. Daniel Jones getting that ball out late. But uh, he's been great. Another guy I want to mention is Patrick Queen, just because of the impact he's had for that Ravens defense. I don't think Queen is up there as much just because he's surrounded by so many playmakers, Judon, McPhee, Calais Campbell now, and Gawkaway. I don't think he has to do nearly as much as Antoine Winfield with the young supporting cast that he has. Um, really, I think you can go with any of these three guys, but Chase Young is such a He's just more physically imposing than either of these two guys. Uh, he hasn't dropped off from dramatically because of the injury earlier in the season. Uh, I still know the OSU Chase Young is somewhere in there, and with the battle lines he's facing up against, I expect some big sack performances in the next few weeks. Makes a lot of sense, and I think that he is the most special of this trio, but he would be third in my rankings of them right now just because... He's got some ground to make up. When you're talking about a guy whose value is so defined by his ability to get to the quarterback and we're almost halfway through the season and he has two and a half sacks and three hurries, that's not exactly going to do it for you. So maybe he finishes with 10 sacks or something incredible. Would not shock me. I'm going to take Patrick Queen narrowly. I want to shout out Antoine Winfield Jr. because he is the name in this conversation that we sort of neglected earlier when we made it all about Queen or Young a few weeks ago. But... Winfield is as complete of a safety as there is, and you see that because he affects the game on all three levels. 44 tackles, a pick, four pass defenses, two sacks. He's versatile in coverage. He's a weapon as a blitzer, which I obviously love when my safety can get me a couple sacks. That's always fun, and it can make you have that Jamal Adams type effect where you can literally do everything out there. And he's just an all-around beast and obviously had the game-saving play when maybe they shouldn't have been in that position, but won them the game against the New York Giants. So... That was sort of a he's arrived moment, I think, on the national stage. But he had already won Defensive Rookie of the Month, and the dude has just been playing his tail off out there. As I said, though, I am going to narrowly take Queen. 48 tackles on the season, four tackles for loss, two sacks, two forced fumbles. I think he's really special. I think all three of these guys are going to be great. I've talked about him before, but it's the sideline to sideline speed. It's the ability and coverage. It's his ability to get downhill and get after the quarterback and stuff the run game. I just think he can really do it all out there, and he is special. But it's a great group of guys, and I don't think that there's really a wrong answer because even though Young hasn't produced at that level, as I've said, he's still probably the best talent of the bunch and would not surprise me if he just went completely insane in the second half of the season. Let's talk about another interesting one. Coach of the year, where there are some good candidates. Who do you have there right now? I'm going with Mike Tomlin, and I think it's criminal that Mike Tomlin has not received a Coach of the Year award up to this point. Never had a losing season. I'm going to say it again. He's never finished a season under 500. Coaches don't do that. Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season. And this past year, when you saw without Ben Roethlisberger, the defense ended up being the best in football, and they still managed to go 8-8. Eight and eight. This year specifically, though, fourth and point differential I can run down the defensive numbers and the offensive performances this season. The Steelers are undefeated, but a news story broke earlier um, today I saw about Chase Claypool. Um, he broke a story to uh, Brooke Pryor, I believe, and they talked about the 49ers and running full contact pads practices on Thursdays and all the 49ers injuries have racked up. The Steelers haven't put on pads in practice since training camp. 
That's a coach's decision. That is smart football, especially when you don't have any lead up into the season for your players to get ready for game action week in, week out. And sitting to it during practices, sitting Hayward, sitting Big Ben, these are the things that smart head coaches do to stay healthy for the games that matter. It's why the Pittsburgh Steelers are sitting at 7-0 and in the middle of a pandemic. It's why they didn't have any players opt out before the season started. Mike Tomlin is a rallier. This team is behind him. He has consistently proven that he is an absolute winner. He, Even schematically, how last season you saw the Steelers change to a dominant running attack, running Zach Banner at tackle. Mike Tomlin does not take his personnel and fit them into a system. He takes his personnel and figures out what the best system for them will be. He's done this for however long he's been, 14 years. It, 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 it disgusts me that he has not received this award before. This season, it's got to be him, in my opinion. Um... Although, I will say two other guys that have surprised me. Cliff Kingsbury and what he has done. I didn't expect that Cardinals defense to be as far along as they are. Um, And then a guy like Andy Reid is always going to be a perennial candidate with the Chiefs winning football games. To me, though, this is the year for Tomlin, man. This is the best start in his history as a coach. I'm going to throw something at a wall if he doesn't win it this year. Well, the good news is he is the betting favorite right now, and it's understandable his team's undefeated. I actually feel, though, that... Tomlin's performance this season is less impressive than what he did last year, guiding that defense to be so incredibly dominant that that football team was 500 and actually was 8-6 and six after Ben when you're starting Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges out there. So Tomlin is not my choice. In fact, the guy who I have there right now is somebody who you didn't mention at all. I have Brian Flores because if you look at what this Dolphins team is doing, Besides a pretty bad week one loss versus the Pats, it was still a competitive game. They've lost close games to the Bills and Seahawks. They've destroyed the Rams, a good football team. Oh, you know that more than most, Logan, don't you? The Jets, not a good football team, but they shut them out 24-0. The Niners and the Jags, they have a plus 8.3 point differential on the season. And I think that that all starts with the defense, which is the unit that Flores has primary control over. And 13 takeaways on that end. Emmanuel Ogba is balling out. He has six sacks on the year. It's a great defense on all three levels. We know what the secondary is, and Xavier Howard is having a fantastic season there accordingly. The thing with Flores is he just maximizes talent, and we can look back to a year ago when we were all talking about how this Dolphins team then was going to be the worst in the history of football. They were 0-7, and then they won five of their last nine games because Flores decided, okay, we're going to kick into gear. We're going to win some games. I think that schematically, he is brilliant, and I think that he is clearly an excellent leader of men and what I think is most impressive is they're sitting here at 4-3. and three. They play the Cardinals this week, which is a huge game for them. But after that, they go Chargers, Broncos, Jets, Bengals. Which means if they're the team we think they are, they should be 8-4 and four at that point. Which is putting you in real driving position to get into the playoffs. Maybe 7-5 and five if they slip up in one of those games. But I think they're clearly better than all of those teams. And then, if they beat the Pats in Week 15 after they play the Chiefs in Week 14, which I think we can probably put down as a loss, they go into games against the Raiders and the Bills to wrap up the season, which could be huge games because if the Dolphins go into those games sitting at 9-5, and five, both those teams are going to be right on the fringes of the playoff probably. Maybe the Bills have a position locked up, but I'm not sure it's that likely. I just think if you're looking at what the Dolphins have actually done these past four weeks, they've been the best team in the AFC East. And they have overperformed consistently under Brian Flores, and he gets the bulk of the credit for that to me. It doesn't matter who's at quarterback. It doesn't matter who's at running back. We act like these guys are impressive. We act like Fitzy was having this great season. He really wasn't. Miles Gaskin has been great, but that's an unheralded guy. And it just doesn't matter. 
he wins no matter who's out there. So I think Flores deserves a huge amount of credit for that. Kingsbury would be my second because it's such a versatile offensive attack, and that starts with Kyler Murray, obviously. But also, I think Kyler probably has as much, if not more, to do with this than Kingsbury himself. I think Bruce Arians could be in that conversation because the Bucs have been so great. At the same time, that's so much about Todd Bowles and the defense that I don't think you can give the bulk of the credit to Arians. And so that's kind of my list. Andy Reid can always be there, but I'm not going to give him the award unless the Chiefs go 15-1 and or something like that. Any thoughts on my Flores selection? Because he's not a guy who was on your radar. Yeah, so where do you think the Dolphins end up at the end of the season? What's their record? I think that they are probably 9-7 and seven or 10-6. and six. And I think that there is a path for them to go 11-5, and five, which is insane. I like the pick as a football fan. I think Brian Flores is a tremendous coach. We've seen what he did defensively last season, what he's done defensively this season with a, a clear lack of talent compared to the rest of the AFC. But uh, to me, I, like I said, I like the pick from a coaching standpoint, but as the award is going to get handed out, um, the last guy to win it was the 11-5 and McVay-led uh, Rams in 2017, and then before that, 10-6 and Marvin Lewis in 9 I just think, I think when the associated, when the when the press hands it out, I just don't think that they're going to even take a look at Brian Flores because where the Dolphins are going to be record-wise. Maybe, but I think that you have to evaluate expectations there and factor that into it. And it's not like it always goes through the best team in football. Matt Nagy won it a couple years ago, and that was a 12-win Bears team, which the Dolphins will not get to 12 wins. They already have three losses on their record. But I think that if they sneak into the playoffs and if they possibly win the division, at some point you got to give props and maybe the... Rest of the media doesn't agree with me, but I think that what Flores is doing is incredible right now. Let's talk about a, an award that I think is probably going to go to one of your Pittsburgh Steelers, although I'm not sure. I don't think he's the betting favorite. Comeback player of the year. Who do you have there? It has to be Big Ben. It, 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 it can't be anyone else. I saw a CBS Sports article. I texted you, Carson. I think 9 out of 12 of the guys ended up taking Alex Smith because he took some snaps against the Rams. Look, man, I don't hand out participation trophies on here on Nerd Sesh, man. Big Ben has went there and balled out this season. He's got one of the highest third uh, third down percentage uh, completion rates in the NFL this season. He has been elite at running a nickel and dime offense, which I think is much better suited to a guy coming off of a shoulder injury when his arm is not going to be where it was 10 years ago where he can just, well, hell, even in 2018 where he can launch balls downfield. 15 touchdowns this year, four interceptions, 67% completion percentage, actually the highest of his career, if you believe that. Um, I don't think it can be anyone else. I thought Cam Newton, before the season started, could win it because I expected the Patriots' defense to stand tall after their uh, number one ranking last season. Obviously, that fell off quick. Cam has been really inconsistent. Uh, Is there anybody else outside of Big Ben that you think can win this award, Carson? No, not right now. And I would like to correct myself because Ben is now the betting favorite. There was a time where Alex Smith was minus 330 to win this award. The overwhelming favorite, despite the fact that he is the third string quarterback for the Washington football team. No, I think that it has to be Ben right now. The fact that he's leading a 7-0 team, I don't think anyone touches that. Next couple selections who I think are honorable. Rob Gronkowski has been playing some unbelievable football lately. Alden Smith just because we haven't seen him in five years and he has five sacks, got off to a really hot start of the season and has cooled down a bit. And obviously, no one associated with that Cowboys defense is going to have that much praise heaped onto them. But I don't think that anyone else touches Big Ben. And I don't want to disrespect the incredible journey back to football that Alex Smith has had. But 
to me, that is not what the award really represents. If you're not actually playing football, I don't think that you should win the award. And I understand that it's not something that has the kind of weight that an MVP or a defensive player of the year does, but I still think it should go to the most deserving candidate. So that's it for the official real awards. Let's get into our nerd sesh awards. Most surprising team. Who has that been for you? The Arizona Cardinals. We talked about them already a lot on this episode. Uh, I predicted them to go 6-10 and 10 before the season started because I was skeptical of their defense. And honestly, Cliff Kingsbury's ability as a head coach. Last season, this team had the 28th-ranked defense, and their only major offseason additions were Jordan Phillips and Isaiah Simmons. But the secondary is balled out. Buda Baker has proved he was worth all of that contract. He leaves the Cardinals in tackles to go along with two picks, three pass breakups, and a forced fumble. Opposing quarterbacks rating against him is 73. Uh, Byron Murphy is only allowing 58% of passes against him to be completed. And Patrick Peterson has been just as consistent. Two picks, four pass breakups. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball, Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins are a top five QB wide receiver duo. And I think Kyler Murray is the best scrambler in football. Um, I didn't expect them to be anywhere near the race to win the NFC West, let alone make the playoffs this year with how tough the NFC is. Um, they astound me week to week. I keep waiting for this to be like a, how I predicted the 49ers last season. I keep waiting for the Cardinals bottom to fall out and they start losing games, but it's dawning on me as I put them in the power rankings this week. I don't think it's going to happen. They're just actually a really good team. Yeah, the Cardinals are great. They would be my runner-up for this award. I am going to give it to the Dolphins, though, because of the trajectory I think that they're on. The Dolphins and Cardinals are both, to me, interestingly, the rare examples in this season of a complete football team. There are a bunch of teams, to me, that have pretty glaring holes, and you could argue that quarterback is that spot for the Dolphins because Tua is so unproven there. But if you're a Tua optimist, then you would say it probably isn't. And I just don't think they need him to do all that much. Now, that is what raises their ceiling because the rest of their roster could not be contender-worthy to me, but certainly top 10 team in football. Maybe you win a playoff game or something like that. Probably not in the AFC, but maybe. I don't think that they're going to be there right now because of what they have at the quarterback position. But they're two great football teams, and the Cardinals have taken such incredible strides. Defensively, they've overachieved in a way that I did not expect, and I think that they can sustain. On the flip side of this award, most disappointing team, who do you have? Easily, the Atlanta Falcons are my pick. Um, after you sign a guy like Todd Gurley, and it's not... I'm going to blame some of the offense just because of the high-caliber signings and high-caliber names that they have, Julio Jones, Todd Gurley, Matt Ryan, and Calvin Ridley, but... You go out and get one of the best running backs in football, and you're sitting at two and six. Again, it's not on the offense; they put up 26 points per game. It's been made, it's been mostly on the defensive side of the ball. Um, they already fired their head coach Dan Quinn because he's an idiot. But in the NFC South, with an old Drew Brees, with Teddy Bridgewater quarterbacking the Carolina Panthers, with a new head coach, with Tampa Bay being quarterbacked by old man River Tom Brady. The Atlanta Falcon, the NFC South was the Atlanta Falcons' division to lose coming into this year, and for this team to be sitting at two and six, looking at a lottery, a lottery pick like we're in the NBA, looking at most likely a top ten pick, and uh, many people predicting a full rebuild. I have been disappointed by the Atlanta Falcons more than anyone else. I picked them to win this division, to win a playoff game, to go eleven and five. They hurt me this year. They were my Dallas Cowboys pick from last season. I. Atlanta does this every season. Um, outside of even your Matt Ryan, as Carson likes to point out, the, everybody else on the Atlanta Falcons have been extremely disappointing. Well, 
Julio and Calvin Ridley have been pretty awesome as well. It's that offensive trio has been great, but outside of that, the Falcons, if you're looking at the results game by game, I think if they have to take the cake here because they managed to disappoint in the fourth quarter of just about every game, but relative to my preseason expectations, I thought they'd be hovering around 500. I didn't have them as the division winner. I didn't have them as second place in the division. But for me, my leading selections would be the Dallas Cowboys, but my winner will be the Minnesota Vikings. And the reason I'm going to go Vikings over Cowboys is because they can't blame injuries in the same way. And although the Cowboys were 1-3 and three with Dak, so they actually weren't that great, they've gone from averaging 32.6 points per game with Dak to 7.3 cents. And they've had, obviously, major injuries to the offensive line. There's just a little too many qualifiers for me to actually outright pick the Cowboys because we're not really going to see a full season of the Dallas Cowboys. But the Minnesota Vikings do not have that same excuse. And they have been a better football team than the Cowboys, obviously. The margins have been slim. And if they eke out a win versus the Titans or the Seahawks, both one-point losses, this could be a 4-3 and three football team, could be a completely different conversation. And they're also trending in the right direction. But... What's interesting to me about this team is obviously you expect them to have a strong defense. Even with the losses that they had suffered, Everson Griffin and Xavier Rhodes, they pick up a Yannick Ngakwe and you think, okay, this is a talented unit that we have seen top 10 in the league in points allowed for the last six years or whatever. And Mike Zimmer's exceptional there. And they're allowing 30.6 a game, which is terrible, but they're average in defensive DVOA, which I think points us to the biggest issue this team has had this season, which is just turning the ball over. They have 15 turnovers in five games. In the two games, they haven't turned it over. They've won. That includes a win over the Green Bay Packers, a team that we supposedly consider contenders, and that falls on Kirk Cousins. I have never been a huge anti-Cousins guy, partly because he normally actually doesn't turn the ball over that much. He's a bit of a fumbling problem, but he does not throw a lot of interceptions. You can go last year, he was 26-6 to touchdowns to interception. The year before that, he was 30-10. to And now he has 12 touchdowns to 10 interceptions, and you can blame it on the line, which is obviously not good, 27th in pass protection, but go watch each of his interceptions individually. Only a couple of them have really been caused by pressure coming in hot. The rest of them are, one or two of them is just a Hail Mary, which shouldn't necessarily count against him, but unfortunately does. And then the rest of that, it's just inaccurate throws, or it's terrible decisions, it's throwing into double coverage, and that has killed them this year. And when you have a running back in Dalvin Cook, who we already mentioned what he's on track for this year, 652 yards and 10 touchdowns in six games. You just can't mess that up when you have a defense that admittedly has struggled against both the run and the pass, and they haven't forced turnovers. So honestly, I've been really disappointed by them as well. I actually can't really say that they are in any way helping this Vikings team. They should have, but if you take Ngakaway out, they have nine sacks. So the pass rush hasn't been there. The pass defense hasn't been there. And I think that they should have been competing for this division because... I don't think the Packers are as good as most people probably do. I think that we have seen them beat up on some bad teams for the most part, but when you get Rodgers out of his element, when you bring pressure, I think that it looks a little ugly for them at times. And he hasn't made mistakes because teams haven't forced him into making mistakes. Against the Bucs, though, that was a real red flag moment for me, and I think it's the kind of thing that is liable to happen again against another great football team. So the Vikings have an opportunity to turn this around. They go Lions, Bears, Cowboys, Panthers, Jags in their next five games. They could leave that stretch with a winning record. They could be back at 6-6 six and six or 7-5 and because those teams, for the most part, suck. But I just can't predict that with the level they've played at, and they've been really disappointing. 
I picked them to win the division. I think you picked them to make the playoffs, right? And they obviously are not even close to that bar right now. Well, I picked them to win the division too. I picked the Packers to be the wild card. There you go. A couple of clowns. We're two dudes named Bobo the Clown. Okay. Let's move to individual players here. Most surprising guy to you this year? Uh, for me, it's not really close. It's Trey Hendrickson. I uh, Coming into the season, I had picked Marcus Davenport as my pick to break out and be a big-time player for this Saints defense. Uh, he's been struggling with injuries, but he managed 10.5 sacks in his first two years. Now, Davenport isn't even getting playing time. He's only appeared in three games for 1.5 sacks. But the former third-rounder, Trey Hendrickson, he stepped up as the leading pass rusher on this squad kind of out of nowhere two sacks his rookie year only appeared in five games his second season he had four and a half last year but this season he's racked up 15 pressures 12th in the league with five and a half sacks and uh this last week he came up really clutch with his overtime sack on Nick Foles um that being said there have been a lot of surprising performances this season I think Justin Herbert does warrant to mention just because of how low I was on him out of Oregon I think another guy that warrants to mention is James Robinson and because he's on such a bad team in Jacksonville I feel like nobody's talking about him whatsoever uh 480 rushing yards four touchdowns he's been okay in the receiving game um a bit a bit of a target for Gardner Minshew 27 catches 225 yards and two TDs sadly for the Jaguars sake with Minshew out they're probably not going to win any more games um, and as this is a fictional award James Robinson cannot actually receive this in real life but uh, Robinson does need a mention not enough people are talking about him and uh, while I'm on underappreciated running backs I am going to briefly mention Antonio Gibson who at times with Kyle Allen struggles with Alex Smith's ineptitude with Dwayne Haskins tossing picks. He's been the only constant along with Terry McLaurin on that Washington offense. But for me, without Davenport's production, I thought the Saints were going to have one of the worst pass uh, rushes in the NFL. Hendrickson has proven me wrong and looks to be one of the best pass rushers uh, in the league for the second half of the season. I'm going to call an audible here and change my selection. So I was going to say Robbie Anderson because... He's having an unbelievable season. He's the number three receiver in the NFL right now with 688 yards on pace for almost a 1,400-yard season, catching 76% of his targets. His career average with the Jets was 54%, and it's not like Bridgewater's having an exceptional season individually, and he's doing it in just about every way. Contested catches, underneath stuff that he's taking for big plays, deep routes, getting behind the defense. He's doing all of that, but... I just have to pick the guy who came out of nowhere and is currently the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with maybe the most fabled receiving core of all time. And you're about to throw Antonio Brown into the mix. Their leading receiver, Scotty Miller. He's exactly the kind of guy that Brady has loved for his entire career. The little guy who can do it from the slot, gets the underneath stuff. He's quick. He's a good route runner. But it's just ridiculous to me. The stat itself is almost enough to give him this theoretical award that he is leading Mike Evans and yes, an injured Chris Godwin, but still Chris Godwin's name is on this roster, and Gronk, and when AB comes into this room, Scotty Miller is going to be the top dog in a weird way. I mean, obviously he's not, but I just think he warrants a mention there, absolutely. I will shout out a couple other Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Gronk being one of them, because we didn't even know if he was going to play football, obviously, ever again, and these last four weeks, 233 yards and three touchdowns has been a fantastic receiving weapon, and also, of course, Tom Brady with 20 touchdowns to four interceptions. And yeah, obviously he has been a good NFL quarterback for a very long time. I have been a huge Brady defender as far as saying probably too much last year. He's still 
a top five or so quarterback in football. And I think that I probably hung on to that for a little bit too long. But then again, he's bounced back to that level. I think Josh Allen would have had a case if he hadn't started sucking this past month. And I think Aaron Rodgers is another guy who has been so fantastic, but just we haven't seen him produce at this level in the past couple of years. So he would be an honorable mention for me. Do you think uh, Antonio Brown steps into the locker room and Scotty makes him wash his uh, laundry and, uh, you know, clean out his locker and stuff because he's the top dog? No, I actually think it's going to be a lot more like Antonio Brown comes in and it's almost a prison environment. He says, all right, who's the biggest guy in here? You know, you take out the biggest guy. You and I have been to prison. We know these things. And he socks him in the face. And then he talks about how Tony Robbins told him to do that. You see that clip where he talks about Tom Brady hooking him up with Tony Robbins to help him find himself or something like that? Strange guy, that A.B. Really strange guy. Uh, okay, let's go to the flip side of this award. Most disappointing player, who do you have? For me, it's been A.J. Green. Um, he's only got one decent game on the year. That was against Indianapolis um, in week uh, six. Eight catches, 96 yards. He had a good follow-up week, seven catches, 82 against Cleveland, but it's the Browns defense. Come on. Um, at the start of the year, when I heard that Burrow was going, when he went with the number one overall pick, when we found out that Burrow was going to the Bengals, yes, I knew they had a lackluster offensive line, but I figured at the least, uh, with guys like Tyler Boyd, with guys like A.J. Green, it won't be too bad. At least he'll have weapons to throw to. Uh, at this point in the season, Green has no touchdowns by football outsiders metrics, the same ones that said that Justin Jefferson was the best wideout in football. It also says that A.J. Green has been the worst wide receiver in football. Now, do I actually believe that? No, not really, but eh, it's what the numbers say. Uh, Green's just been disappointing. Uh, low catch percentage is the lowest of his career. I don't know if it's because the offensive line isn't giving Burrow enough time for Green to get open or if Green is just too battered up with injuries at this point in his career. Um, I was hoping for a much better season. Yeah, here's the number for you. 49.2 catch percentages on targets. That's embarrassing. Uh, A.J. Green, to me, the most disappointing player in football, and I don't know who else is up there. Who did you pick, Carson? Well, I think the thing with A.J. is... He's been so consistently excellent when he's been healthy and obviously missed the entirety of last season. You just sort of assume he's going to be around 1,000 yards. He's never gone under 1,000 yards in a season where he played more than 10 games. He had one season with 10 games, 964 yards. He's been a fantastic receiver, but I think we've seen him just lose a little bit of dynamism, and he's still getting the targets. He's got a 13-target game and another 13-target game, an 11-target game, a 9-target game. Just hasn't made the most of those opportunities. My selection, though, I honestly looked at mostly quarterbacks for this position because I feel like there's a number of decent candidates, and my selection was Danny Dimes because this is a guy who is, of course, in an absolutely horrible, nightmarish situation in New York, but at the same time, Showed some real promise as a rookie. 24 touchdowns to 12 interceptions in just 12 games. And now, 7 touchdowns to 9 interceptions this year. 5 fumbles. And you see, he is constantly under pressure. I feel terrible for him. Some of his picks are just his arm gets hit and the ball is lofted up there. But at the same time, he's made some really bad decisions. Threw a terrible pick to end their game against the Rams when they were driving down the field to try to win it. And you can just look to the most recent event where... He obviously, against the Bucks had the opportunity to easily convert that two-point conversion. The guy was wide open coming off of his route. He waited to throw it. Then he threw the ball inside and allowed Winfield to make a play on it. So I just think it's the accuracy that has been a glaring problem, the decision-making. And yes, it's a terrible situation, but I don't think he's a starting quarterback. And I don't know if I would have expected that after his rookie year. 
I don't think he's a starting quarterback either, Carson. And, and watching this last game against the Buccaneers, I, I don't think it's his arm. I, I don't know if it's his decision-making. I think it's his feet. Daniel Jones has some of the worst feet for a starting quarterback I've ever seen. Like, it, it's even when he has time to move in the pocket, he doesn't. He'll either stand there like a statue or... He'll go right behind his left guard and wait for the D-tackle to get around and tackle him. And you saw how the Tampa Bay game ended. He didn't even see that defender coming up against him. He's oblivious in the pocket. He doesn't know how to move. I don't think Daniel Jones is a starting quarterback in the NFL, and I think the Giants messed up drafting him that high. Yeah, and he was obviously a highly criticized selection, and he showed flashes, and you talk about his footwork, but his mobility is obviously a selling point because the dude is fast, but... It just hasn't come together in the right way. I had some other candidates at the quarterback position. His counterpart in New York, Sam Darnold, who has sucked, but also hasn't really been significantly worse than years past. I thought about Jimmy Garoppolo because when he's been out there and healthy, he's looked really bad. At the same time, actually, we don't know if he's been fully healthy. He's been dealing with that ankle injury, and it's hindered his mobility a little bit and his ability to put weight into his throws. So I don't really want to hand out that award to a guy who's been battling injuries. Okay. Last one here, and then we're going to get into some playoff talk. Biggest midseason acquisition. Who wins that award for you? It's one you brought up just earlier, Carson, and it's Antonio Brown to the Buccaneers. You give one of the greatest wide receivers of a generation to the greatest quarterback of all time again with a team with all these weapons. I don't have to run it down for you. It's a no-brainer. This offense is going to be crazy when A.B. gets on the field. I just hope that A.B. can stay, well, one, can stay on the field with all this drama still uh, taking over the rest of his life. Uh, I think that you could go with a guy like Carlos Dunlap, too, I considered uh, with the Seahawks acquisition, just because I think with two good defenders with Adams and Dunlap, Adams on the backside with Dunlap pass rushing, I think that's going to be a big move, but uh, Mr. Big Chest, A.B., is my pick. I think that I I don't think that footwork goes anywhere. I don't think that run. I don't think that route running goes anywhere. I am a little concerned with his how he's been able to stay in shape. If we're going to see a guy at full speed, at full weight, um, and if he's going to be ready to step back into really just game speed after so much time off of the football field. But greatest QB of all time, one of the greatest wideouts of all time, to me, no brainer. I'm going to change my mind here and go to AB. Because I think the reason I shied away from it initially is the very real possibility in my eyes that he just doesn't stick with this team. And they already have this abundance of weapons, so I was like, what really does AB add? But he's going to be the best receiver in that room, obviously. He was arguably the best receiver in football last time we saw him. He's one of the top 10 receiver talents of all time, and he does open things up more. The other guy I would still like to shout out is Yannick Ngakwe. Because I think that he, and I already made this case last week, but I think he unlocks a lot for this Ravens defense as far as just a more intimidating pass rush without having to blitz. Only played 34 snaps versus the Steelers, so we haven't seen him in full action yet, and he's still adjusting to a new scheme. But I do think he'll have a bigger impact going forward. Okay, playoffs, we don't have that much time. Run down who you have in the NFC, and first four or so I would assume are pretty much a lock, although you may deviate for me as far as NFC East, but just walk us through it. Uh, so I got the Bucks ending with the one seed, followed by the Seahawks, Packers, Eagles, Rams, Saints, and then Bears. Okay. So you still have the Cardinals missing. All right. Yes, I do. Okay. I have Seahawks, Bucks, Packers, Eagles, and then I have Saints, Cardinals, Rams. Let's go through the wild card spots because I think that that's where there is a little bit of uncertainty still. Talk about who you have at fifth and why. 
Um, I'm taking the Rams as my wild card team. Look, it was a bad game against the Dolphins last week, but I feel like a lot of the mistakes that they made are easily to clean up. And talent-wise, I still think this is one of the best teams in the NFC West with the 49ers injuries with... Yes, I'm still a little uncertain about the Cardinals and Kyler Murray's ability to get this team into the playoffs. Obviously, only a second season. We'll see how it plays out. But the Rams have the second-best defensive player in football, and they've got a really solid offensive receiving core with Cups, with Cup and Woods. I'm still confident in the Rams. Honestly, Carson, my least favorite pick out of these teams in my wild-card spot is probably the Saints. If I'm dropping anybody, it would be New Orleans in favor of Arizona. Here's why I don't think the Rams can finish as the five seed. Their remaining opponents have a combined winning percentage of 57. It's one of the toughest schedules remaining in the league. They go Seahawks, Bucks these next two weeks. Okay, I picked them as the five seed just so they could beat the Eagles, and it would justify my pick a few weeks ago. Are you happy? No, I'm not happy because on my <laughs> end, I obtained such high journalistic integrity that I didn't just pick my favorite team to be the five seed out of the wild cards. I looked at schedule, and that was completely a factor. And so I mentioned Seahawks, Bucks. Then they have Seahawks again. They have two Cardinals games. I don't know, man. I have the Rams as my seventh seed just because I can't pick the Bears to make the playoffs. I think they're a fraudulent team. But when you compare their paths, I think the biggest difference is obviously the Rams offense is so much more competent, even though Goff has been had some pretty ugly moments this year. For the Bears, their schedule, they have the Vikings twice remaining, the Lions, the Texans, and the Jags. And I weirdly don't have that much faith in them to win each of those games individually. I could see them just putting up 14 points against anyone and losing because of that. And so I won't have them in the playoffs, but it's certainly an easier path. My five seed is the Saints. And here's why I don't think that you can say that they are sort of the team you would leave out. It's not about the caliber of them as a football team because this defense is concerning. Last three games, they've all won in very tight contests, but... Their schedule remaining is so easy. They have two playoff teams left to face in the Bucks and the Chiefs. You can knock those down as losses. That's fine. But then besides that, they go Niners, who at this point are basically irrelevant, Falcons, Broncos, Falcons again, Eagles, Vikings, Panthers. If they lose more than three of these games, including the Bucks and the Chiefs, which I expect them to lose, that to me is disappointing. And even if they lose four, they're still a 10-6 and six team, and that's going to get you into the playoffs. So that's why I have them there. I have the Cardinals at six, who I want to make the case for, because you don't have them on your list, and I want to hear why. Their schedule is on the tough side, definitely. They go Seahawks, Rams twice, Dolphins, Bills. But they also, on the flip side of that, have Pats, Niners, Giants, Eagles, which to me should definitely be four wins. I think they win at least one of the five tougher games. I think that they could easily win three Honestly, I think they're the better team than the Rams, the Dolphins, and the Bills. So I just have enough faith in this team as a two-way unit with Kyler at the helm to lead them to the playoffs. Why do you disagree? Uh, I mean, it's just the defensive side of the ball for me in Arizona. I trust Chicago's defense and pass rush. If Chandler Jones' health was a certain, if he was healthy, I'd probably pick the Cardinals to make the playoffs just because they have that dominant edge rusher. And I just think that Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks' impact on the game is a little bit more significant than any player on the Cardinals' uh, defense. Now, maybe I'm living in the 1970s and 1950s with Bear Bryant and Chuck Knoll by consistently going defense when... Every single week, the offense has proved me wrong. I'm going to take the Bears just because I like their defense a little more. Anything you would like to add on that before we get into the AFC? 
All right, so let's get into that then. I think that the seven seed in the NFC is actually probably just going to be an eight or nine win team when I look at the group. The AFC has established itself as probably the stronger conference, conference in my opinion. Run down your seeds there. So I've got the Steelers at one, followed by the Chiefs, Bills, and Colts as divisional winners, and then the Ravens, Titans, and Raiders as wild card teams. Um, slightly missing out, I've got the Dolphins, Broncos, and Browns. Okay. So I go Chiefs, Steelers, Colts, Bills, Ravens, Titans, Raiders. So we're very similar. Basically, our only flip, I think, is Colts and Bills. We both have the Colts coming out on this division over the Titans. Why did you choose that? The Colts are stronger in the trenches. Uh, The Titans cannot get any pressure on the quarterback. And I probably, a week ago before this Bengals game, I probably would have picked the Titans to win this division because of how much more confident I am in their offense with a guy like Derrick Henry at the helm and the consistent performance we've seen from Ryan Tannehill. But if you can't even muster a single sack against Joe Burrow in the Bengals' offensive line, I'm sorry, I'm out on you. I'll even take... I took Phillip Rivers over you. That means something, man. Uh, To me, the Colts have a better offensive line. They've got a better defensive line. They've got better defensive personnel. They've got one of the best linebackers in football. Xavier Rhodes is still playing out of his mind. I think the Colts are are leagues ahead of the Titans. I think the Colts are the better all-around foot team as well, all-around football team as well, and that starts with just an incredible defensive unit. And they've been able to produce offensively as well. Pretty similar strength of schedule difficulty going forward for these two teams, and I think it's probably going to be their head-to-head games that decide it because they play each other twice still. And I will take the Colts in those matchups. How close were you to putting the Dolphins in the playoffs? I was close. So I think that we have a really tight three-team race here with the Raiders, Browns, and Dolphins. I think the Raiders are the best team because of the offensive firepower that they've showed. And also, they have the third easiest strength of schedule remaining. They still have the Chargers twice, the Broncos twice, the Falcons, and the Jets. If they don't get to at least nine wins with that, those are six games right there that all should be wins, and that would get them to ten. So... I think that that favors them. At the same time, the Browns have the literal easiest schedule in football. 39.8% winning remaining. They go Texans, Eagles, Jags, Giants, Jets all remaining. And the Dolphins, I think, may be the best all-around football team. Based on what we've seen lately, they have been dominating some good football teams. And it's pretty easy. They have Chargers, Broncos, Jets, Bengals, Pats. But they also have Chiefs, Raiders, Bills, Cards, Maybe that Dolphins-Raiders game in Week 16 ends up being kind of the decider in this conversation. I'm not sure, but I think it's going to come down to the last couple weeks because they're all going to be in that 9-10 to win range, in my opinion. All right, so let's get into our championship game predictions now, starting with the NFC. What do you have? I'm still sticking with it. The Steelers are undefeated. I'm going to stick with them over the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC title game. I can't do it. I'm going to take the Chiefs. I think that they are clearly the best team in football when you consider the fact that I would probably bet on them to put up 40 on just about anybody. I have them beating the Steelers. I really thought about picking the Ravens to make this title game. I think the Ravens are a great all-around football team still. Oh, I'm sorry that that upsets you, Logan. I think that the margins between them and the Steelers are very, very thin. Thinner maybe than you would like to admit. They could have easily won that last game. And I think they're two of the most complete teams in football. Great two-way units. I'm going to take the Steelers slightly, but that would be a heck of a game, I think. 
No, I just thought on my part, I thought I picked the Steelers to be the one seed, so naturally they would have to go through the Chiefs. In your eyes, they would have to go through the Steelers. That does make sense. Um, For the NFC, though, I am taking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to host the Super Bowl as they take out the Seattle Seahawks in the NFC title game. So this is going to slightly contradict what I put in our most recent power rankings. I have the Seahawks beating the Bucs, and the reason for that is as great as the Bucs are defensively, I still have questions about their offense, and the Seahawks aren't exactly going to put a bunch of pressure on them, but I think Russ is putting up 30-plus no matter what. I don't know if I can say the same of this Bucks offense. Maybe they're the better all-around football team, but I picked the Seahawks preseason, and I'm going to ride with them until I die, and until Russ shows me he can't win them just about every single game single-handedly. Super Bowl, what do you have happening? You already know, baby. You know who I'm rocking with. I'm going Steelers over Buccaneers. We go to Tampa, and we kick their tail in their own home stadium in the Super Bowl. We put Tom Brady in the dirt and end his career just the way it should be. We get the old man QB battle, Big Ben and Brady. We break his collarbone or something and tell him to go home to uh, whoever he's – who's his wife? Giselle? I don't know. I don't pay attention to Brady, but we're wiping him out. Wow, that's bold stuff. And I like it. It would be a nice way to send him home. I'm going to take Chiefs over Seahawks because I will take the Chiefs over literally anybody right now. That's going to do it for us here today. We are coming out with three episodes a week. As always, we just did an NBA offseason preview. We wrapped up our series there talking about the Pacific and Northwest divisions. We did a trivia time episode earlier this week that you can go and check out. And we'll be coming out with more on the way. So that's going to do it. I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sash. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.